Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the mini break. Your date podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Monday, August 14th. We have so much to catch up on here on this show. We missed the entirety of all the madness in Canada. And while it was an absolute pleasure to be on site, to be able to broadcast the 2023 Billie Jean King Girls 16s and 18s National Championship, Obviously, I know you listeners are looking for some thoughts on everything that's happening in the pro tennis world. The best way I could think of to do that is to bring in the big guns, bring in some of our favorite guests to break down everything that happened in Canada. We have some fantastic shows scheduled this week, but none greater than the man in the leadoff spot joining me to recap all of the men's action in Canada, a man I promised a tight 30-minute podcast to today. I I'm hoping he'll be willing to extend that to like 32 minutes because I do think we can hit that cutoff mark. But of course, a man you all know best as the host of Monday Match Analysis, host of 3A Tennis Show, contributor to Tennis Channel, host of the Breakpoint Show, our dear friend, Gil Gross. Gil, welcome back to the podcast. How are you doing, my friend? Grusky, I'm great. It's uh, it's very nice to be on. You're uh, you know, you're a slacker for not getting out any shows during Canada, but I'm here to remedy that. I think we got one out last Thursday, but it was last week centric. Look, we're putting in 12 hour days at the USTA Girls Nats. I'm tired, man. Those things are draining. Like, it, it was the third week on the road. It was the fact that the internet connection at my hotel was not particularly good, so it was just such a hassle anyways to even try and upload or look and watch film of anything. I use today to cram. I'll tell you what, there's nothing I enjoy more than a good eight-hour binge of tennis, and from the moment I got back to our house here in Indianapolis, that's what I've been doing. I'm sad because I missed a very Alex week. Like, not to speak in the third person, but like Tommy, Davidovich, Fokina, and, you know, a guy at Alex Demonauer who I'm pretty sure we did a January podcast on where I said it's a make-or-break year for him, and for the first time ever, it comes to fruition, like... Yeah, that's why we have you today. Tight 30, my friend. We got to get to business before we do anything you have to plug. Plug? No. I'm on uh, T2 this week. Uh, I believe it is going to be six Eastern time daily is when I'll go on. All right. That's what we like. No, five. It's actually five Eastern time daily. So this is a late night for you. I appreciate you staying up to do this podcast. That said, then let's get into it. Let's talk everything that happened in Canada on the men's side. I got five questions for us to break down here on this show, all of them big picture related. Of course, not only do we have Canada to think about, but it's the North American hardcourt stretch. Cincinnati's this week. U.S. Open on the horizon. The place we have to start is obviously with the champion, Yannick Sinner, capturing his first Masters 1000 title. Now, 
He'd been sniffing around all the big events for the past year and a half, two seasons, slam semifinals, match points over Alcaraz at last year's U.S. Open, Masters finals in the past as well. Draw kind of opened up for him. Certainly the fact that the three-set match he played over championship weekend was against Gael Monfi and not Tommy or Demonauer might not have been the script you would have written. That said, you know, we can get into the stats of it trying to be concise here. Has this title changed anything in terms of your perception of Yannick Sinner moving forward? I mean, I don't think it changed my perception of him. I just think that this is a big deal <laughs> if we're going to take him seriously as a as a U.S. Open okay, title contender. But then, but then that means it did change your perception. No, no because, because that's, well, that's ridiculous. <laughs> Wow! It took it took what ten seconds for sparks to fly well, here. That was just a lie. You're like you're like it didn't change my perception. But here's how it changed my perception. Make no, no, it's not because here's the thing. Sinner, like I I tweeted out that this was a very appropriately timed accomplishment. I think that Sinner has been good enough to win a Masters 1000 for for 2023. Before then, I just don't think he was physically ready. I just don't think he was good enough. And there was some, like, when is Sinner going to win a big title? You you guys know I do mailbags uh, Wednesday through Friday at the end of every week. One of the biggest, like, repeating comments that I've been getting over the past three, four months is, when the heck is Sinner going to win a big title? And what I've been trying to explain is, like, hey, it it's not taking him too long. Like, it's been... It's been literally a couple of tournaments where a couple of masters tournaments where he's been good enough to do it. It's not like the clock is ticking. This is not a when is FAA going to win a title situation. And I thought the perception or the impatience was growing to an extent that was a little bit over the top. If I'm just kind of reading the the discourse around Yannick Sinner and you just knew he was going to get one. He's lost in two masters semis. He lost a masters final. And now, you know, he gets a good draw and he converts it. I just thought, I guess my main point, Grusky, is there was a lot of scar tissue built up, I think, with all the losses that he took at the end of these big events. And I think in order for him to have the ability to actually win the U.S. Open, he was going to need to flush out those doubts and win a big title first. I understand the point you're making. I just... Don't know if I agree. Um, I think when you look for Yannick Sinner, and especially in terms of this draw, again, historically, he beats who he's supposed to beat. You want to go back since the start of 2021, he's 82-11 and 11 against players outside the top 50. Like, if you don't have a weapon to hit him off center, you're not beating him. And obviously, he, you know, you want to take that to players ranked outside the top 20. He's 116-25, and 25, still an 82% win percentage. If you don't have something to disrupt what he's trying to do, as we saw against Tommy, as we saw against Demon, as we saw against Monfi down the stretch in the third, you're just not going to beat him. And I agree with you. Where I agree with your point What's your is, disagreement? Well, well, where I agree with you is the physicality. That was shown this week. And uh-huh. the thing we don't talk about enough in what has made Sinner so successful this season is he's just a good mover now. Like, he's a fluid athlete. I like his first step. I don't think he gets overwhelmed by pace as much from a movement perspective. I do think it hits him a little bit off center. But, you know, again, no one responds with gusto quite like Yannick Sinner. Where I disagree is we've seen this level from him before. And I guess if your argument is now physically he did it over five matches— 
Like, no, because he did it over five matches against a Demon Hour, against a Tommy Paul. Guys, we've seen him beat pretty regularly over the past couple of seasons. If he would have beaten a Medvedev or an Alcaraz or a Djokovic, and that would have caused your perception change, would have been okay with it. It's not a perception change. Well, I just, I guess it's I, not. I, wait, like I've always noticed this good. What, what's no, the can, difference? Can I explain? No, me of too. Course. And it doesn't change. I'm not, my perception is unchanged. I just think he needed, and if he's going to be a serious contender, and I said this coming into Roland Garros, I said, look, Sinner, his level is there where I want to call him an outside contender to win Roland Garros. But mentally, I don't think he will have the ability to do it because there's too much scar tissue built up. He needs to finish the deal and win a big title. He's not just going to be able to make the leap, I don't think, to, to winning a major because there have been nerve management issues for Sinner. And I mean, I think we saw a little bit of it against Djokovic at Wimbledon. And he just, I think he needed a big trophy so he could overcome that. It's not a change in perception. It's just a, you need to do this before you can do that. I need to see him beat a Medvedev or Aaron Alcaraz or a Djokovic. That's what I would have liked to have seen this week. Because I think that's the only question I have left about Yannick Sinner because you mentioned it. The yips only come in, it feels like, against those guys. Like, yeah, he got a little tight, but he's still able to stick to... I mean, again... The guys he played in Canada couldn't hurt him. That was the theme of watching all of these matches back over the course of today is how much he's on his front foot, how good of a job he does dictating. He has amped up the serve. The first serve win percentage continues to improve. I think he's 11th in hold percentage amongst top 50 guys right now. He's been a top 10 returner for three years now consecutively by the numbers. I Like... Yeah. He Again, you're right in the sense that he lifted the trophy for the first time. That's great to see. I don't... This didn't change anything for me, which, again, I'm not saying it did for you. I'm just saying to answer my own question, this title run did not change anything for me. I think he's the – is he the third or the fourth best player in the world right now? Where what if he him? lost? Hold on. What if What if he lost to Tommy Paul? Well, that gets me to question number two. So that's how we can transition. Coming out of the week, three guys in that championship weekend, Demon, Tommy Paul, Davidovich, Fokina. Who intrigued you the most? I'll answer your question in I'll answer your question in a second, but who intrigued you the most of those three? I think it's always gonna be Davidovich Fakina. Like he's just the player. <laughs> well then he's let the me player. answer your question, because I thought you were gonna say Tommy. Had Sinner lost to Tommy, I would have needed to see how he lost. It's impossible to talk about can a hypothetical. I, okay, can I can I tell you Please. what my thing would have been? Please. Here's a guy who has been quarterfinals or better 13 times in Yannick Sinner, 13 times at majors and masters, and he's never finished the deal. How is that guy going to win the U.S. Open? Mentally, how is he going to get there? Because the, It's because the list is different. It's because you only have to beat three other guys. Like I think for Yannick Sinner, what this consolidates in his head is, yeah, I'm in the mix. Other than Djokovic, Alcaraz, Medvedev, I'm better than all of you. And I think that was the perception of him going into this event anyways. Now, if it consolidates that position, sure, I believe that. But he, I need to see him beat one of those guys in one of these Masters finals. like Or one of these, you know, again, he beat Alcaraz in Miami this year. Um, I need to see more of that. For me, it didn't, it, it changed the answer to the question, is Yannick Sinner, like, can he win a major? 
right? I don't think he's in a tier of like being one of the guys who look, I don't think I'll be picking him. Uh, but I just think now my answer is yes, because I just thought he had to do this where before my answer was no. Okay. But we can move on to, yes. to the next thing. Fair enough. No, I mean, the center debate is fascinating. It's one we've been having for years. Yeah. I guess. No, I, I saw him dominate guys. He has historically dominated. I like the fashion by which he did it. I do think physically he is at another level and he continues to grow. And that will always remain the biggest question is, is Yannick Sinner healthy going into the event? Because if he is, he's one of the five best guys in the tournament. I think he's proven that. And that's what I suppose is a consolidating of position. But you say of the three, Demonauer, Davidovich, Tommy Paul, Davidovich, Fokina, excuse me, Tommy Paul, your most intriguing is Davidovich, Fokina. Make the case because I think I know where you're going to go, but I'm excited to see it. The case is that he should be better. And I look <laughs> I look at what his skill set and his gift, his natural gift is, a guy who's probably a top five best mover in the game, who has a really good two-hander, brings plenty of baseline power as well, uh, just kind of lacking in the serve department. I, I just think the the tools there are like borderline top 15, top 10-ish tools. And it's someone who's never been in the top 20 and has spent most of this year outside the top 30. And it's like, when are you going to figure out how to manage the mental game? And anyone who's in that category is always going to intrigue me. And I know how hard he's trying. I think he's been trying very hard, very, very hard all year. We've seen him do some things on the court where like, he's kind of meditating. He's breathing deep. He's closing his eyes. He's trying to control his emotions, which have in the past been completely out of control. And look, I understand we're only uh, a little over a month removed from an underhand serve at eight all in a tie break where he said, what I crapped myself was what he said after the match. So like, it's a work in progress, but I'm just waiting to see like, whoa, is this just going to click for him mentally? Like he's reading all these books. He realizes the problem. He's trying to figure it out. And I'm just wondering when that's going to happen. And then you look at his score lines also, like he destroyed Zverev. He killed Mackie McDonald. He killed JJ Wolf. Uh, third set tiebreak win against uh, Kasparud. Uh, but then, you know, Demonor and I was traveling this day, but it just seemed like, uh, it seemed like Demonor's play style gave him absolute fits and he beat himself. Yeah, I mean, in the since the start of 2022, we've seen Davidovich Chokina make two master semifinals, a third at the quarterfinal level. He beat Djokovic, I believe, in Monte Carlo. He beat Runa in Madrid. He beat Hercots at Wimbledon. He's 47 and 46 since the start of last season. We know what the peaks are. I, I think I tweeted it during the week. Oh, it's going to be one of those Davidovich Fokina weeks. And I watched him today, the highlights of him versus Casper Ruud. The reason I lumped these three together, Demon Hour, Davidovich Fokina, and Tommy Paul, is they're all extraordinary athletes. They can all do a little bit of everything on the court. They all have that fluidity to find themselves able to compete in every match that they play. You watch the technique of Alejandro Davidovich Fokina. It is so far superior to the other two. 
And to yeah. watch him extend through forehands against Kasparud, who hits a heavy topspin ball that was just sitting up in Davidovich Fokina's strike zone. And he said, thank you for the topspin. I'm going to flatten this out. It's just so easy for him. Like, all the things are so easy. And I think when Tommy's in rhythm, all the things are pretty easy for him too. But, like, you know, the mechanics are so Yankee. It works for him because he's so athletic. But it's not as aesthetically concise, pristine as Davidovich Fokina. And that's why I test-wise, like, I agree. He is the most fascinating because you just see it. It's just, you know, next, I think next year him, Shapovalov, those are the two guys I'm locked in on because they're the two guys I test-wise, when they're in form, you get how it works. The consistency hasn't been there. And so I, I guess just, again, does this unlock something? Because you watch the Demon match and you're like, nope, that's what happens is the problem is it's four steps forward, and then every so often you have the three steps back. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know. It's only one week, which is not a long time. (laughs) We have to see. But in terms of who is – I mean, I look at Tommy Paul and certainly Demonor. I see them as guys who are pretty much maximizing what they're able to do. And Davidovich Fakina is the – is someone who I don't feel that way about. And that's – that's why I say, you know, the biggest eyebrow raising, and I, I forget what the specific question was, but that's why, to me, Davidovich Fikina is the most interesting story from, from last week other than Sinner. The case for Tommy is he's the medium in between Demon and Davidovich Fokina, where the technique's not great, but he has some weapons as well. And you can see them, again, in the Alcaraz match, the forehand was firing, and he was able to keep Carlos El- uh, honest with that on-the-run cross-court. The backhand's nice, can slice it, can move forward. I mean, Tommy's playing really good ball. He's 13 in the world. There are three top 15 Americans right now with Fritz, Tiafo, and Tommy. And it's another significant hardcourt result. This, more than anything, backs up that Australian Open semifinal where this draw was clearly more difficult than that. And yet he goes and beats in Alcaraz. And, you know, again, I thought he played pretty well against Yannick Sinner. I just can't quit Demon because he... I was thinking about this as I was watching the footage. I was like, how am I going to present this to Gil to try and make this aspect compelling? I think when Demon sees what Alcaraz does athletically, he goes, finally, a fair fight. Like, he's like, finally, someone's on the level. And, you know, again, like, I think Alcaraz looks at Demon and he's probably like, oh, that's cute. Like, this guy can move a little bit. And it's just like those two, their ability to extend points. I know when you get a ball deep into Demon's forehand, he's going to pop it up. I know his backhand's in that Nori camp of it's pretty concise backswing. He's kind of blocking it back, generating better pace. But to watch him dictate against Medvedev the way that he did, I think he's a very good volleyer and very comfortable moving forward, very good at using his speed to beat you to the spot. He's also gotten so much stronger. Like, you can see it. Like, he has visibly put on muscle, and it hasn't compromised his speed. I don't know if any of these three guys have hit their ceilings yet. Because, again, athletically, they can just do it all. And so I'm not ready to write off improvement for three guys who still aren't, like, in the— I mean, they're early, mid-20s, but they're not 27, 28. I think Demonor has a real cap on him. Yeah, why? I mean, it's—well, and it's it's the ground stroke speed. It's just— offensively, you're never going to be threatening from behind the baseline. Now, Medvedev is a guy who 
allows you to get forward based on, you know, how deep he plays and also just the fact that they're just in more kind of neutral exchanges where Demon could kind of build the point, find a short ball, come in. And I agree with you, great volleyer, uses his athleticism really well to cover the net as well, even though he's not a tall guy. So that's where his offense comes from. The thing is when he's playing a guy like Sinner, who is trying to kind of stay aggressive and be offensive and use big power, uh, and it's harder to get into net, the offense is non-existent from the back and there's nothing really, I don't think he'll ever remedy that given his technique. There are just, there are inefficiencies. I mean, you look at his backhand and you know, you can say, Oh, it's because he's not big, but you look at the technique on the backhand and it's like, no, it's not his size. It's his technique. That's why the ball is averaging like 65, whatever it is, even less. Like, I think he's averaging like 63 miles per hour in that final on the backhand against Sinner. Um, now, part of that was also tactical. That said, tennis IQ, uh, toughness. Like, how about the mental toughness to beat Fritz? Like, some guys just don't fight that Five hard and end down up losing. In the first. Yeah, and then he was down huge in the tie break, and then he was down a break twice in the second set. The guy is just an animal the way he fights for every point. So there's so much to love, but is is he capped? Like, yes, he's capped. It's just a matter of where. Is it 10 in the world? Is it 8 in the world? It's got to be something like that, if you're asking me. Does he make a tour finals? I would say either 1 or 0. Yeah, the over-under is 0.5. Yeah. Uh, a lot of guys like him, like Schwartzman got one, right? I think yeah. it was 2020. I feel like maybe... Demonor gets one. Let me ask you this. How old is Alex Demonor? Is he 26? 24. Mm, that's why... I actually that's, overshot it a lot. That's why... I know. That's my... Like, that is always the redeeming factor. This guy was born in 99. Like, he's not old. He, You know, again, it's just... I've seen continued improvements. He's a top five returner right now. Yes, his forehand is the thing exposed most, but his on-the-run forehand is so lethal, and you're just so hesitant to attack him because he's so exceptional at extending points. And I can't emphasize this enough. He's such a good volleyer. Like just to see him knife high volleys cross-court with depth is extraordinarily impressive because that is such a difficult shot to hit. I agree. The technique limits his ability to absorb, uh, absorb pace, but he can redirect it well. There's also the serve, by the way. Yeah, which I think has improved, like, numbers-wise. Okay, and, that, and that's visibly. good to hear. Hold percentage is up in each of the last four seasons. Now, it's still outside the top 25 and under the average of a top 50 player, but right. it's improving. But remember, you're not actually isolating the serve well, when you're looking I, at a stat like that. Well, no, I am. I'm talking you're about not. his first serve win percentage. I'm looking at, like, I'm talking about all these numbers have continued to improve. Yeah, that's not isolating the serve. That's serve. That's serve points. That's okay, points when you serve. Improved. I, I understand. Right. I, so, no, I, I I know you understand. I'm just I'm just saying he's a great baseliner. Yeah. That that's good that he's winning first serve points. But if you if you actually look at the serve by itself, I don't know how it would stack up. I I hate that we don't actually get to see. Uh, well, we we can see ace rate. Let's see ace rate, Krusky. Can you it's pull that 4. up? Four point one percent again. Okay, it, it, where does that rank in the top fifty? Uh, lower that, than that's it what should. I'm saying. But oh, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll stall the, I'll, for you. It's, it's while so, you look, no. while ooh, you look it up. Ooh. 
<laughs> Where is it? 45th. No, 46th amongst top 50 players. It's not great, Bob. No. And in the final against Medvedev, uh, sorry, against Sinner, yeah. Yannick made 96% of his first serve returns, yeah. which should never happen in men's tennis. It's fair. It's a fair point. But what's the lowest hanging fruit, I think, for improvement is still that first serve because it's the ultimate controllable. And again, he's 24. Higher upside on hard court. This is the one tangent I'm going to use, and don't worry. It's still going to be a tight 30 because these last three are easy. J.J. Wolf or Alex Diemenauer? Higher hard court upside. Upside? Yeah. Like one tournament. They play perfectly. I mean, you got it. You still have to give it to Demon, and you can't just go JJ. I know there's probably a tendency to just think JJ because there's bigger weapons Sir and power. His way, yeah, exactly. But like at the end of the day, there are a lot of intangibles that Demonor has, uh, mentally and physically. That there's no guarantee JJ is ever going to actually get there with those things. All right, I like it. Next, te- next. Topic, excuse me. Good transition there, Alex. Waste the five seconds. (laughs) Uh, We'll leave it in. Um, Next topic. Rank these four Americans going into this final stretch. Taylor, Tommy, Francis, Corda. By most intriguing. For the U.S. Open, it's such a good question. I had to Uh, mix it in. I had to mix it one. Yeah. (laughs) Finally, you did that. Uh, So... I'm going to go, given last year, honestly, wait, and and the question is... Most intriguing to you. Intriguing. Okay, one is Francis. Number one is Francis. I mean, he's about to defend uh, a a semifinal, and this year has been, I think, really good. It has the potential to be great, but I don't know if it's great yet. I'm just curious to see where he's at. Now, Fritz is number two because he needs to have a good run at a major here at some point. Uh, I think it's really probably weighing on him, and he's too good a player for the kind of results he's had at the last uh, four majors, dating back to the Holt loss at the U.S. Open. Uh, Then I'll say Tommy Paul after that. Honestly, like, I, I feel like... Tommy Paul is not going to shock us either way, good or bad. I I think I kind of know what he's going to do. Maybe I'll be wrong, but that's why he kind of comes in at number three. And then for Corda, I, I don't – again, intriguing is a very, very subjective thing. But right now, I'm just a little bit – I'm a little bit down on the idea that 2023 is going to be Corda's year. I'm kind of more – looking to next year already. I know that there have been a ton of health issues, but I'm the consistency hasn't been there. And the way he's losing some of these matches to me has simply been frustrating. It's just been a lot of mistakes and clutch moments that are, that have looked rather needless, you know, just neutral regulation forehands. You miss it by two feet. And it's like, where did that come from? And why did it happen? And I'm, I'm waiting for those to kind of leave the game of Sebastian Corda. Fritz right now, ninth in the points race. Tommy, 12th in the points race. Tiafo 14th in the points race. Shout out Chris Eubanks. You make a slam quarterfinal, win a 250 title. He's 24th in the points race. He's the fourth highest American. He's top 30 in the rankings. That's just, it's absolutely exceptional. Um, 
France, you made a good argument for Francis. I think he has had a really good season. He's had a top 10 se- season as a server. I mean, he's had significant runs, but in New York, he just, again, he is the sort of guy who can just wake up the New York crowd in a way maybe no other American can right now. Yeah, that's fair one. I'd go Tommy too because I just think Tommy's prime time. I just think Tommy plays exactly like, – I think the better the opponent, the better the Tommy. And he just has it. He's proven that – he's 12th in the points race. Like I, We kind of buried the lead. Like I think yeah. it should be said. The fact that Tommy has played Alcaraz in Canada two years in a row. And beat him. And, and he just gets up for it. I mean that was his very, very best level. He's not afraid at this point. I think it's fair to say – He's just unafraid of Carlos Alcaraz. Yeah. Well, it's I mean, again, it's because those four guys, Davidovich, Okina, and Carlos is in this as well. They look at each other athletically and they're like, finally, like, all right, let's roll the balls out. Let's play some tennis tonight because, like, we don't need to mess around anymore. No being cute. We're both locked in. And by the way, speaking of being cute, and to finish the rankings, I'd go quarter three Fritz Four just because. Sebastian Corda was one of the five best players in the world in the month of January. It was all on hard courts in Australia. He hasn't been healthy since. But he probably showed me the best month of any American, like extended month of the season. And that's why he's three, because if he wakes that up, it becomes a story. Taylor's been really good. I think he lost that demon match as much as schedule loss, Atlanta, D.C., Canada, back-to-back. I think the rest is good. I'm not concerned. But I feel good about American tennis. I will say my next topic is some cute things, and we can go through these rapid fire. Alcaraz over her cuts was hilarious. Like that match, I'm so sad I didn't podcast the next day because, oh, that match was extraordinary. The Alcaraz tweener, extraordinary. The word I have to describe him when I watch, he's just heroic. Like just... Hey, the thing you want the superhero to do, he's like, okay, I'll do it. And when he hits the on-the-run forehand pass for 5-1 in the third, you're like, yep, it's over. And then it wasn't. And just like, oh, it's a good plot twist. Good, Well done by the script writers. That's my first cute thing. Any thoughts? Yeah, it was bizarre. I mean, first of all, Alcaraz comes out after, like, not looking great against— With a new uh, haircut. Shelton, yeah, with a, with a fresh cut— and uh, again, the the first set was kind of a disaster by Carlito. So then you, you're like, oh, we found it. Okay, it's done. And then uh, it, it there was a little bit of a like Hugo Gaston Paris 2021 thing where it's like, oh my God, he's avalanching. Like, holy crap, he can't win a point. He can't win a point. Like, <laughs> it was unbelievable. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Hercotch's stat uh, year has That's also just been. Yeah, is my guy. I mean, it's like he he must play two tie breaks every match, <laughs> no exceptions. Two and a he half will hours. play. How many deciding set tie breaks has Hercotch played this year? Yes, all of them. Well, he monopolizes it. It's like just kind of every week. It's like yeah, we're just gonna we're just gonna play to seven. Let's see who comes out here. <laughs> seven points. Yeah, I mean, no, it's we. Yeah, he he comes out. He goes. He's like you. He's like, all right, three breakers. Then let's go get some food. Like he, that, that's the <laughs> That was uncalled for. Oh come on, that, that was, was uncalled for. Oh, I'm just saying, the tweeter was exceptional. Like it was actually like let's let's have this conversation. Mm-hmm. The best tweener since Federer at the U.S. Open. 
Oh, that's a good question. Best tweener. He's played 10 deciding tie breaks this year. He's six and four in them. Which, by the way, by the way, the best Federer tweener at the U.S. Open was not was, against Djokovic. No, it was the... Uh, it Dabul. Was, oh, oh, hold on. No, it was the Brian Djokovic. Dabul. Yeah, but the Djokovic one was just disrespectful. Like, oh, that's a good question. No, the, the Dabul best one was better. Best tweener is the one I hit against Jeff G. Chisover because he was like, no way. He was like, you have that in your bag? And then I did it again. And I was like, I do have that in my bag. You can confirm. I can hit the tweener. Um, Never on me. That's not true. Factually Yes, false. it is true. You've I have never, hit a tweener on you. I've never win, tweenered I you. I didn't win the point. I didn't say I won the point. I did tweener you. 100% you hit it a forehand volley, court? put it away. You hit a forehand volley, put it away. And you said, good okay. tweener. And I said, I know. I have the tweener. I can't, like, I'm not going to hit a winner on you. But, I was, <laughs> yeah, like, I didn't, I didn't say that. Um, but, uh, I don't know. Best tweeners. There's a lot of good ones. Anyways, to stick to the script, other cute things, rapid fire. Monfi, quarterfinalist. Watching him strike the ball against Sinner was delightful. It's good to see. He's like, sneaky old. Sneaky old? That's your toss to me? <laughs> That's your... No, yes, I'm just Ruskin. saying, like, yes. best to a run to come off of an injury at 36, almost 37. No, I agree. It's awesome. I'm stunned. I'm actually, I'm pretty stunned at how well he's moving. Um, it, he's he looks huge. very athletic. He's a monster. Like, maybe he's, it's because Sinner is paper thin, but I was like... Oh, it's just, it's so great to have him back. Like just, again, what he can still do on the court, how well he strikes the ball when he wants to amp up the forehand. I'm a Mofi fan. Everyone is a high approval rating. Rayonich. By the way, though, his tactics, his tactics in that match were just astonishingly bad. Well, they were amazing. He was like, yeah, in in a way that was really entertaining. Yeah. Like he was, he basically decided like, oh, let's. Let's just slug it out. Forehand to forehand, me and Yannick center. That's how we're going to play this one. It'll work, right? And I think he <laughs> saw Yannick in a jumping backhand, and he was, like, so proud. He's like, look what I did. Um, yeah. I created a movement. Um, Rayanich, anything? Look, <laughs> old guys, speaking of sneaky old, the serve <laughs> just doesn't go away. Like, y- you can always serve it. Right. I, I, there are some exceptions like Andy Roddick kind of lost his serve, but for the most part, you can serve it. I lost my serve. Um, yeah, that's true. Serve forehand. Some things never die. Um, the, it's the testament to weapons. Last question. Most important Cincy for you. And again, I'm not worried about Alcaraz. I'm excited to see Djokovic warm up. He's excluded from this answer. Anyone else? Most important Cincy. Most important Cincy. It, it feels like there are quite a few important Cincy's. That's the thing, because, you know, in Toronto... It's an important Cincy. It really is. (laughs) It's a very important Cincy. After you come off a weekend where Tommy, Davidovich, Fokina, and Divinauer are in the semis, and you're like, fuck, I gotta step up. That sounds like a good title. (laughs) This is an important Cincy. Oh, okay, that works Yeah, that sounds like a breakpoint title. Uh, Not breakpoint. You you know what I'm saying. Uh, Man, so I think... I think Titi Pass, I think it's kind of important for him after the the first round loss. I think you're Runa. Titi Pass is wrong because he won Los Cabos. But I don't care. I don't think it matters. I think you go you lose yeah, first you, you lose early at both masters if you're Titi Pass, you go into the US Open where you lost first round. I don't know. So it, it just 
I agree the first round's important. I'm just saying that's a schedule loss. Like, you play in Los Cabos and you try to go anywhere the next week, you're not winning it. I'm you're right. Sorry. You know what? I rescind. I rescind. Okay. Runa, I agree. Rudy? Agree. Okay, yeah. I mean, you lose to Marcos Giron. Are you a U.S. Open contender? Are you not? I don't know. You know he's Let's... fourth in the live rankings right now? Yeah. I mean, yeah. He, he was a monster on the clay. Yeah, he's good. I agree. I put Root in that list for all the same reasons because, you know, again, you lose the division of Chokin. I don't care if it's deep in a third. I got to see it. Medvedev? A little bit. He's been really consistent in, in his career at Cincinnati. He's like quarterfinalist every time, mostly, uh, you know, usually gets the semis actually uh, in recent times. Mm-hmm. I don't think Daniil played so bad against Demon, though. I think Demon's a pretty bad matchup for him. It's the new RBA matchup for me. He's like, I'm going to have to do this for another half decade. Like, come on. Good call, uh, but it's it might be even worse. It's RBA who comes forward. Yeah, that's it's fair. Um, last name I would throw on the list, and it's a lower level. But, it, like, where are you, Cam Nori? Because when you beat Alcaraz <laughs> on the clay court in February, it was like, whoa. And now we're going into Indian Wells where you've won before. Like, Is this going to be a Cam Nori top 10 season? It just hasn't been. And so that's where I would – that's my last one. Yeah, it, it's been weird. It's been it's been almost weird to the extent where it's like, what happened? Are you injured? Yeah. You know, it, it's falling been- apart. The serve, you said? Yeah, it's just – I think people know his spots now. I was – so – San Diego story. This will be my last tangent, then we'll wrap. So we're under 40. We are going to be under 40, though. Um, <laughs> I was talking to an analytics guy who was one of the sponsors of the event, and he was telling me, look, the first year of film, once you see that, oh, it's, this wasn't an analytics guy. It was a coach who was very close with the analytics. It was a college coach. Shout out to them. Um, who goes, look, the first year you have your analytics, that's the interesting, you know, again, it's new data points. No one's seen it. Once they have 18 months of film on you, they can tell you with the analytics, hey, he serves here 72% of the time on 40, 30 points, or hey, he likes this T inside 40 serve. And just, you know, again, I do think that sort, I think that makes a difference. I, like for Cam Nori now, there's three years of film, and I just think cutter out wide, you know, is coming, inside out forehand after that. You know, again, the do side serve, you can mix up a little bit better, but it's not that threatening. Cam's really good, but really good isn't always enough. That's a compelling argument to me, especially because of his game, where there are clear strengths and weaknesses. There are certain limitations in in different spots, and it's funky. If if you're not prepared for Cam Nori and you try to imagine playing him, it's kind of like, what is this? Who is this? What's happening? Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, you have a flat backhand, a heavy topspin forehand. He never gets tired. Uh, I mean— Lefty. I also feel like he's the last guy because they teach you, you know, exhale as you're uh, going through your ground stroke. And you always hear the shh, like off of Cam Nori. Like, (laughs) isn't that the Cam Nori noise? He's like a boxer. (laughs) Most boxers do that when they throw their jab. Yeah, that's Nori. He throws a lot of jabs. Um, Yeah, I agree. I didn't mean to. I I want him to get it going. I agree. I think it's more fun. He's a fun contrast. Any final thoughts? No. All right, there we go. Tight 39 <laughs> minutes. A shout out, as always, to Gil Gross, Monday Match Analysis, 3 at Tennis Show. You can hear him on T2 this week. You can also go ch- catch our final episode, uh, recapping episode 10 of the Breakpoint Show. We also talked to the showrunner. It's a lot of fun. You can go watch it on Gil's YouTube channel. It'll be up as a podcast in a little bit as well. As soon as Westhoff's home, he had a 
I don't want to say a weekend off because he was helping me guide the ship, but he had a wedding he had to attend, and so um, I haven't seen West stuff in a month. Like I would have, I all right. Well, he's not going to listen to this, so I don't ever have to. There is a zero percent chance he will listen to this, but this will be where we end things. I'm going to see him, and I'm be like, dude, I missed you. And I wonder what his reaction is going to be. Because Westhoff's not a hugger, which is like one of the things I'm devastated about. Because as you know, I am a hugger. Um, and so like, we haven't hugged. Am I going to be like, yo, I haven't seen you in a month. Am I going to give you the hug? Like, what are we going to do here? There's going to be a little standoff, Gil. It's going to yeah, be fascinating. That's interesting. I, I FaceTimed him uh, when <laughs> last weekend. Yeah, that's right. You weren't expecting that. Wow. I needed some technical assistance. And this guy is always on. Yeah. Uh, always on, on the call. And, uh, yeah, we, we got, we got our stuff done. I called them last night. I go, Hey, cause I had to check some luggage and I go, Hey, like we have these ethernet cords and I was going to carry on the bag with the ethernet cords. And I was like, but I don't think that's a good idea to bring those through security. Cause I was like, I know I'm not threatening, but they're gonna be like, dude, why do you have these massive cords? And I'd be like, well, I, I was doing a broadcast and like he goes, it was so funny. And I just, it had been a really long day, three weeks down the road. And he goes, why don't you just put the cords in one of the bags you're checking? And I was like, oh my God. I was like, I needed some late night producing. I was like, thanks, man. I was like, that's why I called. And he's like, yeah, just do that. And so anyways, shout out to Westhoff. I've had any job to do day in, day out. I don't think he'll listen to a word of that, um, but you should let him know if you listen to it. And as always, a thank you to Gil Gross, who is fantastic. A thank you to our friends at Tennis Point, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15 for Gil Gross, our friends at Tennis Point, and from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Gil, what do we tell our listeners? That's the break. Pleasure as always, Grusky. Always a pleasure. And we will see you all next time. Thanks, everyone. 